0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another live stream. My name is Ansel Liner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today is the 17th of November, 2022. And there's lots of drama going on in Bitcoin. We'll cover some of the FTX drama with Balaji and now this new auditor that's being added to uh, as CEO to take over for the in the bankruptcy case. We'll talk about some of that. Uh, we'll talk about replaced by fee in Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin error logs. Kind of problem with this. We'll talk through that, and then Raphael had a question that he posted about Bitcoin miners, uh, stocks, and so I'm going to try to answer that. Um. All right, so to begin with, uh, just a debrief from yesterday's Fed Watch. So that's like the big event for the week for my content because, you know, we're getting. I should check Rumble, but YouTube is getting to be about three thousand views. And I think Rumble is usually about the same, maybe a little bit more. So that's pretty good. Um, I'm trying to get the producers to, you know, look at how many live viewers there are before FedWatch starts and then during FedWatch to kind of compare and contrast, uh, you know, what part of the show is getting the most attention, because sometimes I think, we kind of improve their live viewer numbers, maybe double the live viewers during FedWatch than during um, during their other stuff. But, you know, I just want those numbers for myself because when I go to Bitcoin Magazine, I say, hey, look, you know, FedWatch is a huge part of your Wednesday live stream, at least, and, you know, let's uh, up the freelancer contributions here. <laughs> but uh, anyways, they topics yesterday on the show was cpi because i didn't talk about that last week since we didn't have a fed watch i also talked about the digital dollar thing and i've talked about that quite a bit in the past and then we ran out of time like ck wanted to talk about ftx at the beginning of the show and we went on for about 20 minutes and that took up a lot of the time that i wanted to read through some stuff about the digital dollar and some stuff about the g20 meeting but perhaps that gives me an opportunity to do another episode midweek for fedwatch and just put it out on the podcast feed as like a supplemental Uh, that would be good but anyway so that was the breakdown of fedwatch some other central bank news before we get started on the bitcoin stuff is we are already starting to see the fed's monetary policy kick into gear here like i have been showing the 10 year 5 year um and i think the 30 year the, the longer rate bonds the longer dated bonds are are crashing through the floor going through the fed funds target and that makes it really really difficult to raise rates in that in that environment for them So what are they going to do? Well, before they have two weeks. So they're going to come out and really try to jawbone the market into changing its mind. You know, you better not uh, pile into bonds. We're going to keep raising rates. We're going to raise by 100 basis points in the next meeting. You know, they're going to try to scare the market into believing that the Fed is serious, right? And that is their monetary policy. Once you can, once you crash through this mirage or this mirror or you pull back the curtain on the wizard, it all makes sense. They depend on the market listening to them. They don't depend on any mechanical way of moving rates around. So we're going to see a full court press by the Fed, by all these Fed. They probably set up some like 60 minutes interview with Powell and I'll come in and be like, you know. This will probably hurt the market, but we're going to raise rates by two more percentage points in the next three meetings, you know, or something. They're they're going to do some sort of full court press on this to try to change the market and get it to move, get the rates to move back up before they, before they announce their next rate hike. Not after. I showed some charts to CK yesterday on the show. And like specifically, if you look at 2019, 2018 into 2019. And you look at the rates compared to the Fed funds rate. It is so blatantly obvious that the Fed follows. They followed them up and they followed them down. It's all about the narrative. But, you know, even the narrative is it just works through market psychology, right? So it can push things to the limit. But you can't change the laws of physics with a narrative you would actually need some sort of mechanical tool to change the laws of physics and so if the market is selling off if the market is you know going into recession and people are fleeing into safe and liquid assets doesn't matter what the fed says the the market will win so that's you know that's the laws of physics people are going into uh, they're reacting to the actual market conditions and the narrative can affect that for quite a while, change the market psychology through the mythology, the belief, the religious belief in the Federal Reserve. But it can't change the ultimate end of this. So we are going back into recession. And all right, so that's enough with Fed Watch and the Fed comments, what to expect. Let's get into this FTFX drama. I've been we've been going back and forth here this morning on telegram which i think is great and by the way guys listening on twitter spaces uh this is mainly a telegram live stream welcome if you want to join the telegram you can go to t.me for slash bitcoin and markets you see all my stream of consciousness and our little community there is and their contributions are really growing so i'm sharing even some of the stuff that the guys bring up in the comments i'm resharing it into the channel so that uh you know everyone can see it um But yeah, we've been going back and forth a little bit here this morning on all this FTX drama. So let's, where should we start? Um, Let's start with Balaji. I'm not a big Balaji fan, okay? He has connections with early in Bitcoin and Silicon Valley, uh, Coinbase. He was at Coinbase. He was like some uh, CTO or something at Coinbase. And... Everybody really thinks he's like hot shit, right? That Balaji is really, really insightful and really cool. But he's a shit coiner. All right. He tears into on this thread, which I will include in the show notes for people listening on the podcast version uh, or on Rumble or Odyssey. I will include this link to this thread down below in the description. But uh, Balaji has this thread really ripping into FTX. And my first initial thought before even reading this <laughs> is my bias. Okay. <laughs> my bias is that Balaji is part of the fucking problem. He is a dyed in the wool shit corner. He promoted edu- faulty education at Coinbase. When he was there, they had this coin this education initiative. They probably still have it, where you can own, uh, earn $5 in shit coins if you go through these videos and go through this quote-unquote education. It's really just brainwashing people into this narrative of blockchain and quote-unquote decentralization that doesn't exist in the altcoins. So he is part of the problem. He actually is part of what created this, I guess, ecosystem of ignorant-ass investors. He played a big hand in this. And now he's trying to point the finger at SBF, which deserves it, obviously. the 99.99% of the blame belongs on FTX. But Balaji is part of the problem. Uh, But this is a good thread, okay? I'll give it to him. This is a good thread. I'm going to read through it a little bit here and discuss, I guess. So here we go. The net result of FTX is that billions of dollars was stolen from crypto investors to give to Democrat-aligned politicians, nonprofits, and journalists. This is why there may be no prosecution. If he's not prosecuted, it is going to be blatantly obvious. They even had to put Madoff in jail, right? So, like, they I think that SBF will go to prison for this. And probably a few other people from FTX. But it is very fishy that there hasn't been any huge stories from the press, like the mainstream financial press, on this. There was a good point, too. I also read um, that... This whole thing was broken. The news and all the investigative journalism that's happening is happening on Twitter. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah for Twitter. That it's there, that it's here, that it's hopefully getting fixed with some of the censorship is- issues. And I could go on a long tangent about that, but maybe I'll bring that up another day. Okay, so let's continue. Why is SBF so protected? Why is everyone from the SEC to the New York Times running interference for him? He was basically Soros Jr. just with stolen customer money and evidently bought off the entire media, nonprofit, political, and regulatory establishment. Okay, I agree with this. But what Balaji is not saying, he is lying through omission here is the reason he could steal customer funds is because the ecosystem was educated to believe that blockchain and shit coins were real. That NFTs were real. That DeFi was real. That you could print money out of thin air. And where did these customers get such ill education? From freaking Balaji himself. So I agree that he's pointing the finger at... FTX and all this crazy stuff with politicians and uh, journalists or media, whatever, but it was a fertile field that FTX was planted in, and that field was created by people like Balaji. All right, let's continue. The author is a born rich journal uh, of this, this article that he says, or the article that he links here. So he knows Bankman-Fried's milieu. And the overall picture you get is of rats scurrying around now that SBF's money has been cut off. And very much not wanting defrauded crypto investors to claw back these stolen funds. And he links to another thing. The stage is set for an absolutely insane zero-sum match. On one side, one million crypto investors robbed of ten billion dollars by Sam Bankman-Fried. On the other side, a network of dark money Democrats who will fight to keep as much of those stolen funds as possible. The fur will fly. <laughs> okay, I mean, he also gave to Republicans, uh, you know, rhinos and stuff. I, I guarantee you, they didn't, they didn't give any contributions to. Trump or MAGA Republicans. Right. They probably you could look through cuz Sam Bankman-Fried says, "Oh, we gave bipartisan." I watched some interview uh, you know clip of him saying, "We're bipartisan with our uh, donations to politicians." And and he gave something like, I don't know if it was 50 million or 60 million or something to Democrats, but then his one of his top employees gave like $25 to Republicans. I bet all of that went to people like Liz Cheney, who is not really a Republican, is a neocon globalist conservative. Not a national conservative, but a globalist conservative. I guarantee you no MAGA people got this bipartisan money. All right, the bankruptcy case may play out on social media. Crypto investors seeking to get FTX funds back may hire lawyers like... Irving Picard who clawed back 75 cents on the dollar for Madoff victims and who would, they claw it back from the groups SBF funded. And then it shows the uh, wall street journal, New York times and stuff. Okay. The fundamental question is that is when did SBF start stealing customers or good Lord? Sorry guys. The fundamental question is, When did SBF start stealing from customers and how much did he steal? This can only be answered by forensic accounting. The headline amount given to Democrat politicians is 37 million. There we go. 37 million. Understates it. FTX Foundation alone was 190 million. How much was stolen? We need to list all of the donations FBS made. SBF. Potentially with stolen money. Here are a list, or here's a list: 69 million in political donations, mostly to Democrats, some to Republicans, 190 million to a foundation, 128 million to a PAC. That's probably his mom's PAC, who's a Democrat PAC, undisclosed amount! Exclamation point, undisclosed amount. Okay, so you guys, that's where I'm going to stop with this one. I will link it down in the description. And I did link it on Telegram this morning so you can get it there. Uh, there was another one that was put into the comment section by Point BTC this morning. And this is from John Wu on Twitter John Wu underscore J O N W U underscore. And let's just read through a couple of these. I just read FTX Chapter 11 First Day Affidavit. In it, the appointed restructuring CEO, John J. Ray III, who oversaw Enron's bankruptcy proceedings, calls FTX's case the worst of his career. Its contents are shocking. Um, John J. Ray III, the appointed overseer, is one of the most experienced restructuring executives in the world, having overseen Enron and a slew of other high-profile bankruptcies. At his side are Sullivan and Cromwell, one of the leading restructuring law firms, and Alvarez-Marsal, one of the leading restructuring advisory firms. Ray's statements are given under penalty of perjury. So this is serious investigation by serious adults. Ray opens with his experience and then immediately condemns FTX as the worst case of his career. Ne- never in my career have I seen a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. He then identifies four business business silos. We will skip that. He immediately communicates distrust of any financial, uh, sorry, any furnished financials. FTX US's balance sheet shows $1.36 billion in assets as of September 30th. Quote, however, because this balance sheet was produced, while the debtors were in control, or sorry, while the debtors were controlled by Mr. Bankman Freed, I do not have confidence in it. He then goes into recount in paragraph 44 Sam's negotiations with attorneys and his father. Uh, so he said his main mistake was filing chapter 11, was filing bankruptcy. He could have fixed this by probably printing more FTT tokens, but uh, that was his big mistake was chapter 11. Paragraph 46 explains, there was roughly no corporate governance. Quote, I understand that many entities, for example, never had board meetings. Paragraph 50, quote, the, fin- the FTX group did not maintain centralized control of its cash. They didn't even keep a running list of all their bank accounts. In paragraph 55, John J. Ray the third basically says, quote, um, I've heard of the FTX U.S. auditor. I've heard of the FTX U.S. auditors. The FTX international auditors, I, uh, let's just say they're best known for having an office in the metaverse, end quote. All right, let's continue. In paragraph number 59, human resources, the entire FTX group didn't have any employee management whatsoever incapable of furnishing. They didn't have a list of employees the terms of their agreements, or each employee's status. Employees were paid through an online chat, and managers approved disbursements by responding with personalized emojis. SBF and Gary Wang controlled all of FTX's digital asset pers- assets personally, using a group email account to share private keys, software to conceal misuse of customer funds, and the big one, the secret exemption of Alameda from certain aspects of FTX.com's auto liquidation protocol theories that Alameda was liquidation exempt on FTX seem confirmed by Ray's initial investigation ray notes in paragraph 66 that 372 million dollars in unauthorized transfers happened on the petition date uh but and that was supposedly when they were hacked but further the, that $300 million in FTT tokens were also minted after the petition date by an unauthorized source. So as they're going through this bankruptcy, all of a sudden, $300 more million dollars in FTT tokens were minted out of nowhere. It's crazy. Sam basically used Signal to hide all of his decisions and communications with employees. Okay, so there's big talks about the team that's investigating. This is really big. Just going through here. All right, that's it. Of course, I will link to this also down in the description wherever you're listening to this. And that's it for FTX, guys. Um, I wanted to make sure I talked about Balaji and about the kind of ecosystem of scammers because, yes, SBF is to blame and all of this shadow dealings and the, just the absolute nut jobs like even sequoia like these large companies that invested in in um FTX they are to blame but the years and years of maleducation in this space about shitcoins being alternatives shitcoins being substitutes for bitcoin and building this insane case now what it turns out is there is no utility to these things. Oh, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. Just these shit coins and smart contract platforms and De- DeFi and uh, blockchain and uh, decentralized all the things and all this crap. Zero utility. It was all a big grift. It was a big Ponzi scheme. And it was enabled by these Very same people, this Balaji that's making this list or making this long thread, trying to blame 100% on FTX when he was the one that created the fertile soil or he played a big part in creating the fertile soil to that these scams could thrive in. See, that's the difference between Bitcoiners, toxic Bitcoin maximalists. All right. Now, I have, (laughs) it just makes me think, I have a house here and a, a small lawn. And I use some, uh, what's it called pre-emergent for the weeds? You know, you spray it down and what that pre-emergent does is it keeps the roots from growing. So weed seeds will land on your lawn and they'll start germination when it gets to a certain degree, like, uh, when soil temperatures get to like 65 degrees, uh, in the fall or the spring, they'll start germination of the seeds. But what this pre emergent does is it stops those roots from growing the very initial roots it like targets the 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 first couple days of germination and doesn't let the roots grow well, that is what toxic maximalists are, okay We're the pre fucking emergent here we're the pre emergent to the Bitcoin space or to the the scams and all this. We kill it. In the crib, <laughs> that's maybe a bad uh, bad uh, term there. But we are the pre-emergent to the space. We are the immune system. But we were ridiculed, shamed by these shitcoiners like Balaji, like Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, like Eric Voorhees. They're the ones that freaking ran cover for scammers like Sam Bankman-Fried and Vitalik Buterin, which this that will blow up, whether it's this cycle or next. Ethereum is a goner, all right? We need more toxicity. We need to ram that wedge between crypto and Bitcoin. There is no substitute for Bitcoin. All of these things prove there is no substitute for Bitcoin. All right, enough of that. <laughs> uh, let's get into this. Bitcoin error log stuff. So that is a lot of times I spend most of my time here talking about macro and about uh, geopolitics. And part of that over the last, say, year is because Bitcoin has been kind of boring Uh, until now. It seems like there's lots and lots to talk about and dive into and pull apart and uh, nuance to dive down on. So this the last couple of weeks have been really Bitcoin heavy. But anyway, this is now an argument that's continuing to go on between Bitcoin Airlog, who I'm familiar with from back in the day. He's a longtime Bitcoiner. I think his motivations are good. You know, he's he is doing all this in good faith and he's a good influence on the space. He's been involved with lots of Bitcoin centered companies, never a scammer or anything. Um. But he is real high on this RBF stuff. Let me pull up pull up this tweet thread. Of course, I did share it in Telegram, and I'll share it in uh, right up to this show. So I'm as an admin note here, guys, I put these out as a podcast and on Rumble and now Odyssey. And so if you're finding this on those platforms, look in the description. You'll find all the links to that. And if you guys want to help the show out, you can subscribe on those platforms, subscribe and give me a listen on the podcast, even if you just, you know, listen for a few minutes every day or something, because I'm putting these out uh, daily. That, that helps me with my numbers. It helps me uh, get my reach further. And also, if you want to financially help the show, <laughs> make me into a full-time uh, toxic maximalist, then you can go to BitcoinandMarkets.com and become a paid member over there. Appreciate everybody that helps, the community. I'm having a good time with the community right now, so this is great. All right, let's get into Bitcoin Airlog. log. Talking about RBF, this is replaced by fee in Bitcoin. So some background is the core developers, a lot of core developers, and kind of the soft consensus right now in Bitcoin is to turn replaced by fee into default behavior. So right now, I guess I, I'm not technical with this. I, I, you can create a transaction and somehow you designate it that it, it, it can be replaced by another transaction with a higher fee. You know, So if it gets stuck and it doesn't go through, you can unstuck, unstick it by replacing the transaction with the one with the higher fee. And then the miners will just take the higher fee one and won't com, You know, won't compete to confirm the first one. But they're trying to make this into default behavior. Now, this is a not a consensus change. This is a soft change. It's not even a soft fork, okay? Because it's already doable. It's just changing it from not default to default. And Bitcoin AirLog is all up, got his, all, his panties in a knot here. So let's read some of this. After weeks of arguing and consideration, I am now confident I can refute all arguments, for a full RBF regime, and that we should protect first-seen mempool policy from being subverted by keeping the existing environment intact. My arguments include clear rationale that consider miners, incentive capabilities, maximization of fees per block, priority competition, utility for merchants, intelligent double-spend risk mitigation, protection of the user space, optimal culture, of development of Bitcoin and optimization of Bitcoin adoption, utility and activity. Okay. That's a huge sentence. So apparently he has all his bases covered, but he's going to lose his battle. I'm telling you that right now. All right. What I do not know is the best path of communicating these learnings to core and the best process for civilly halting the damage of the full RBF regime. So I need your help. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. That's what he's asking for on this. And let me go into the thread on Telegram. So th- this was my response on, t- on Telegram was that his, all, all of his arguments, since this is a soft fork, it's not even a soft fork it's a soft change that all of his arguments are just as valid after this is made default. You know, because he can just go to all of the miners and say, hey, I want you to not use the default settings. I want you to not do this as default. So I don't think that he has any power here. There's no difference in what he's arguing now. And if he were to argue it after it already became default, right, it's there's no difference. So he's not, he's acting as if there's like, this is critical that this needs to be changed or this needs to stop from happening. But if it happens, you can always go back by just having, saying these great arguments. These supposedly are irrefutable arguments. You can just tell people that after they switch and then they'll switch back. It doesn't, it's not like it's a hard fork, right? So there is no urgency here. Ryan Breen also said made some comments here on the Telegram, and I just want to pick out the good stuff. Okay, Uh, also he reacts like this will kill the zero-conf business model, but really it just adjusts the risk model, and it might work fine for them. Ultimately, RBF for all transactions will inevitably happen anyway, and I agree. You can't stop it, right? If it's better or worse, it will be adopted. If it's gonna be adopted, it will be adopted. There's can't change that. ZeroConf is really a fluke of a low fee market. Great point. So what he's saying is uh airlog wants these this uh no RBF by default because certain businesses Use zeroconf where they, you know, do transactions, maybe retail face-to-face transactions, and you don't want to sit there and wait for the next block to confirm, right? You just want to pay it and leave the store. But if fees were high, like we all expect fees to get higher, I think fees should, in the long run will be 1% or more. But that's okay if you send, you know, a billion dollars on layer one, what would that be? $10 million fee? I mean, it might even be less than that. Let's say a million dollars to move a billion dollars. Right now, you can move a billion dollars for 35 cents. But in the future, there's going to have to be a larger fee market. And so, yes, zero-conf is just a fluke of a low-fee market. I 100% agree with that. It will go away naturally. If we are correct, Ryan says here, that won't last forever anyway. So it's more fragile to build a whole ecosystem around it. 100%. 100% totally agree with that. All right. Um, next here, let's go on to Raphael's question. And this is where I'm going to end, guys. I'm going to talk about Bitcoin miners. Let's. I got to scroll up and find it. Sorry, give me one second here. Do-do-do. All right. Oh, dang. Where was it? I just want to make sure. Here we go. So he asked, uh, I would like to know, what do you think about buying Bitcoin mining stocks here? Does it work like gold mining stocks? Higher highs and higher lows or lower lows? Um, What about buying some GBTC at 20% spread? So I think, first off, I don't own any of the Bitcoin mining stocks. I think that they are depressed significantly on the year. They've fallen a lot more than the spot price of Bitcoin. And I have dabbled in the past with gold mining stocks. This is probably over a decade ago. I was you know, much more heavy into gold and silver and gold mining stocks and things. If Bitcoin has a bottom here and Bitcoin has beginning of a, Of a bull market. I think that mining stocks will outperform in the very early stages of a bull market. They will underperform in bear markets. Now, GBTC, 40% discount. I don't know how you can really lose on that. Um, You know, if I was doing some allocation changes, I would probably switch some of my other stock investments into GBTC at this time because 40% discount is, is crazy. That's um it's huge. So yeah, I think that it makes sense in certain times and specifically perhaps beginning of bull markets because the, the rest of the, you know, like the uh if you look at the way that Bitcoin chart, moves at the beginning of a bull market, it doesn't just take off and go 50% in, in a week or two. It'll slowly tick upward and then people will start believing that it's real and then it really takes off, right? So in that first stage of recovery, I think that uh, mining stocks and GBTC are real good bets because that discount is going to disappear at the first part of the bull market. I think it does make sense at the beginning of a bull market. I hope that answers the question there, Raphael. And like I said, I'm not a big investor in, in these mining stocks. Uh, I'm not actually a stock picker. Uh, I just, I pick long-term investments. You know, I picked gold and silver and I dabbled with gold and silver mining stocks. Then I picked Bitcoin and I've traded Bitcoin and stuff like that. But, um, I'm I'm not a individual stock picker. I'm more of a macro guy that's looking at the whole, you know, whole picture, global picture of of money and history and all that. So anyway, enough with that. Let's uh, just open the mic for any comments from my guys over on Telegram. If you're listening on Twitter spaces, t.me4 slash Bitcoin and markets, you can go and join over there. Better audio over on Telegram as well. So that's always a plus to go listen there all right anybody have a comment from telegram can i can i try am i can you hear me and yeah what's up buddy hey so it's really good you mentioned that uh you really need to we need really need to wait for the forensic accounting i mean i hear so much stuff and then i also hear that oh the sbf he took out a loan of three billion um so it's it's really hard to say if he's such a bad guy or if he was just some guy given a position, I mean, who wouldn't be want to take a position of being a CEO of a, you know, billion dollar company or whatever. Um, so, and you know, how much time do you really have? I mean, you're, you're talking to the press all day or you're I don't know. There's so much other work you're doing as a CEO of talking to investors and all that. How much did he really know? I think just got to wait for the forensic accounting. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I I agree. Um, So guys, to relay for Twitter spaces, he just said um, that he's glad that I mentioned forensic accounting or waiting for forensic accounting because that is uh, really important in this case. You don't want to jump to too many conclusions. I mean, I think we all can say that uh, a lot of what Sam Bankman fried has said in the past week is all lies uh, because now we have some evidence to that effect. But whatever happened before that, right. In the founding of the company and how Alameda was all mixed in. Yes. We don't know a hundred percent and we shouldn't, um, I guess everybody obviously deserves a trial and deserves the right to be innocent until proven guilty. So I totally agree with that. And we'll see. I just hope, man, I just hope that people learn from this experience that, all of these, I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just to be in a new space, being a new technology, quote unquote, new technology. There's just so many scammers out there that are pushing these narratives and pushing these promises, these extraordinary claims with no extraordinary evidence. And I hope that people learn a lot. And one thing I mentioned in the past couple of days was um, Clark Moody. He had a tweet about this really turned off a lot of normies and it did. Oh my gosh, guys. It, I mean, this is headlines everywhere. I was just looking at zero hedge and their top story is about this auditor that's going through and just saying this is the worst thing he's ever seen. This looks horrible. It looks horrible to the, to the layman. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but it, <laughs> it's uh, not a good, not a good look. And I, man, I just wish that Bitcoin maximalists were listened to more. Yes, it wouldn't be so flashy. People wouldn't make ten thousand x gains on some NFT token that they bought and then dumped on somebody. But it would be a much cleaner rise, and maybe that is part of the whole. And this is the discussion we've had in in Bitcoin for a long time that volatility is necessary, right? Volatility is what drives, brings people in, really. Like if you ask any trader, you know, they don't want a sideways market. They can't really make money in a sideways market. They want volatility. So volatility brings capital in, it brings money in, it brings attention in. Those headlines of, hey, Bitcoin pumped 20% in the last month. Okay. That's a big headline that, brings eyes. And then also, but you have the volatility on the downside. Bitcoin crashed 20% uh, off this FTX news. So uh, you kind of have to be weary, uh, careful what you wish for, but hopefully the volatility decreases. Hopefully people listen to more Bitcoin centered ideas and at least take to heart. You don't have to become a dyed in a wool, hardcore Bitcoin maxi. But you have to at least acknowledge what they were doing, what the scam coins were doing. What it, it's just completely irresponsible, completely fraudulent, and you have to move this industry. The, the the shit coiners out there, the content producer, the shit coin content producers out there, need to move ninety percent towards Bitcoin. It really has to be that way, and I think that every cycle that happens that ends up happening it does there you know i've i've watched a lot of youtube channels over the years of being in bitcoin and they all kind of start as being heavy on dogecoin or heavy on litecoin or uh, maybe ethereum lovers or you know they have all these different tokens and by the second cycle that they've been in they start to say things like Bitcoin's the only real thing here. Everything else is a scam, but you can make money off these scams. So anyway, um, the guy next door just started mowing his lawn. Sorry about that for the audio. All right. um, Well, that being said, kind of droned on here at the end, but I want to cut it here now that this guy's mowing his lawn and I can't really uh, concentrate. So that's it for today, guys. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com for all my stuff. Check out all the podcast apps and make sure you're subscribed and like and all that stuff. And appreciate all you for being part of the community and joining these live streams. And that's it for today. I'll see you tomorrow.